Hey folks, this is Dr. Gina and welcome back to episode six of the Medical Necessity Podcast, where I help steer you through the flood of medical information out there. Now, specifically in this episode, we're going to talk about traditional Chinese medicine because a lot of people are looking into alternative types of treatment. Now, what do you automatically think about? Acupuncture? Well, maybe take a step back and think about Chinese medicine as a system of diagnosis diagnosis of the whole patient, as well as various treatment options. That could include acupuncture, but also include a lot more. Hey guys, welcome back to Medical Necessity. And I am very pleased to have with me Stacy Kent, who is, she's a uh, friend of mine who's an acupuncturist and herbalist here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, starting out as a massage therapist, she's been in the health and well-being field for 20 years. And in that time span, she's practiced in Florida and Colorado between uh, stints here in Ohio. And along the way has added in cupping, kinesio taping, and yoga instruction as tools to help her patients. She sees patients from the ages of 9 to 90 years old across all aspects of the health spectrum, from preventative care to various stages of illness and recovery, and as part of hospice care as well. Her work is driven by her desire to understand and contribute to each patient's concept of what it means to be and feel well. So welcome, Stacy. Hey. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you making time. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> Yeah, so you started out as an LMT, right? I did. Yeah, um, I was a chef before that for about 17 years. And so it was- Oh, back, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so it was back before there were women in the kitchen and cooking and no, there were no celebrity chefs. So as a girl in the kitchen, I had to work a lot physically. And so I started to get massages after I'd been in that field for a long time. And at first it was maybe a massage a month to kind of help my body cope with the physical and mental strain of that. And then it ended up being twice a month. And then it ended up being once a week for massage. And I started to look at my massage therapist's lifestyle and I thought it was much more attractive than being beaten up in the kitchen. <laughs> so yeah, it took about five years for me to bite the bullet and decide to completely changed the trajectory of my career and I moved from Arizona where I was living at the time um, out to St. Augustine, Florida and ended up going to massage school there and that was the start of this next like 20-ish years of work. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then was it a stint in Colorado and then Ohio or how, how'd you come to Ohio? I was born in Ohio, so my family okay. has always been here. So it has always been um, kind of the center 
point of where I rotate around and travel. But even when I was in the restaurant business, I would take vacations. And if I liked where I vacationed, I would apply for a job while I was out there. <laughs> and that would move me across the country. So that's how I ended up in Colorado at a certain point and Arizona at a certain point. And then when I got into massage and eventually acupuncture, I went back and then I would go and open up a practice in those places as well. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that is so smart. Uh, my family might say reckless. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think of reckless as, hey, you know, like in the movies, I'm just going to throw everything in my car and just drive out to LA. <laughs> Uh -uh. I, mean, yeah. I think if I look at it, you know, from a certain point, I've always been curious about how things are done and how things occur. So when I was cooking and baking and butchering and catering, I wanted to know how those things evolved. And so I was always trying to get to the base of what that, whatever that process was. And the same thing in massage or acupuncture or herbs, what's going on with that person? And why are they in this condition? And what can I figure out that's going to help me uh, help them? So for me, that curiosity of just jumping into something and going and figuring it out, that is pretty much consistent for how I approach things. So, which, yeah, which is a fine thing to do. And also, it makes us nerds. <laughs> <laughs> Body nerds. Exactly. Well, how can you not be a nerd? <laughs> you know, after becoming an LMT, then what was your, what was your gateway to acupuncture? Mm -hmm. I had my first massage practice in St. Augustine, Florida, and I practiced with a couple of other LMTs who had been in the business for, at that point, probably 15 or 20 years themselves. And so um, I was able to learn a lot from them. And we started to bring in an acupuncturist from Jacksonville Beach, Florida, about a half hour north. So he would come in and he would see patients in our office a couple times a month. And I would work on some of his patients doing massage. And I was curious, like, what's up with the acupuncture thing? You know, we don't do that where I'm from in Ohio. What's up with that? So <laughs> we don't do that in Ohio. <laughs> I can remember saying that. I was like, yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> and it was not legal at that time. So it was valid. <laughs> so at that time I had also had migraine headaches consistently like debilitating for at least four or five days out of a month since I was about 17 and it had just been something that I thought I had to live with uh, my doctors who just prescribed me medication said well they'll go away when you hit menopause and I was like awesome that's great <laughs> And so I started to chit chat just casually with the acupuncturist who also was an herbalist and also was a Tai Chi and Qigong uh, practitioner and teacher. And I just asked him, I was like, hey, does acupuncture, I don't think acupuncture does anything for these, but does it do anything for people like me? And he was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I started to see him when he would come down to treat our patients and between massage, acupuncture, herbs, qigong, my migraine headaches were completely eliminated. And uh, it made a believer out of me very, very quickly. And it made me really curious 
about how disease processes actually happen. Like, why, why would I have migraines if the doctors were then saying, well, you'll always have these until you hit menopause? And then how can an acupuncturist be confident enough to go, no, I think we can help you, and then go ahead and help me in such a quick amount of time and for such a long duration of relief. So it got me really curious and kind of like blew my mind open as far as, wow, there really are ways to help people substantially in different ways than what I knew. So it sounded like you were doing some practice of acupuncture and then, you know, help me, help me understand then um, the training um, and also kind of the umbrella of, you know, from a high level traditional Chinese medicine. Right. So when I decided to go from being a patient of ac acupuncture to understanding what it would take to become an acupuncturist, I um, had actually moved from Florida to Ohio um, to be back closer to my family again. And acupuncture had just become legalized in Ohio. So I got to learn a lot more about it from the educational standpoint in that way. And so as a large umbrella, um, acupuncture is just one small portion of what's considered traditional Chinese medicine. And traditional Chinese medicine is a whole broad medical system that views um, the person as a whole and all of the pieces and parts of a person, whether it is mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, organ, tissue, that it's all integrated and all interrelated and that we are also then intimately connected to everything in nature. So my whole person that I was in Florida in that environment would then have to be a slightly different person once I come to Ohio. And so treating me for the same condition in two different environments would actually be different because my body responds differently based on the environment that I'm in. Um, and so using those broad theories as like a perspective, a lens for how you look at a person, that was really attractive to me because it really stokes my curiosity about trying to figure out what's going on with people and how I can help. And going from that perspective of how we view people as an integrated whole, it really helps us use the tools of Chinese medicine, which would then be herbalism, acupuncture, food and dietary therapy, we'll say exercise, but it's not necessarily like hit the treadmill kind of exercise. It might be. Um, it might be something that engages your cardiovascular system or your stamina. It might be something that engages your strength training. Traditionally, we speak a bit more in terms of Qigong and Tai Chi. So those are exercise modalities that tend to incorporate slower movements, um, joint mobility, function, but are also mind mindfulness-based. Um, and then massage or twina is what it's called in Chinese medicine. So push pull. So soft tissue work is also involved within traditional Chinese medicine. Push pull, mm -hmm. <laughs> which which happens a lot in uh, Tai Chi. It does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so it really sparks on the interplay between if we're thinking of health and well-being, it's always that sometimes you're pushing certain aspects of our health or wellness or pushing certain um, inspirations to help our body heal or you're pulling back on things or withdrawing them. So it, it is a very common theme that can be applied in a lot of ways. 
how does yoga fit into this? Where did the, where did the yoga piece come in? I started doing yoga when I was maybe 20, 21. I was living in Sedona, Arizona, very small town at the time. It was um, like one traffic light kind of town. And I had gone there on vacation and applied for a job. And I'm, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving to Arizona. <laughs> but you got a job. I did. I had a job so I could have a roof over my head, which was right. awesome. Um, there were no yoga studios in town at the time. There was really none of that. But I found some weird yoga book in some new age bookstore. And I was like, that looks really interesting to me. So I started just reading through this book and I was like, headstands sound great. So I started my yoga practice by teaching myself headstands and I found it really calming. And so before a stressful night at work, I would sit there and I would do headstands for a long period of time. And then I started going through different parts of the yoga text and learning different postures. And I would never link them together. And there was nobody really to tell me that that was what you were supposed to do. So it took me moving to another city eventually where I was like, oh, people actually teach classes in this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, eventually I started to uh, take yoga classes and I found them immensely helpful from a flexibility and a strength standpoint. But they were also one of the few times that I could even be present for a moment and not have just a crazy busy mind or be thinking 10 steps in the future or pitched on things from the past. So I was actually present on that mat for a period of time during a class. Mm -hmm. And the longer that I had practiced acupuncture and massage, the more I knew that I wanted to find some sort of component to add to my practice that could help people move or help people relate to how their bodies moved. And also something that could help them uh, center themselves and link their movements to their breath and to make it uh, really comfortable and easy for them. So yoga teacher training was something that it was more of a, I really want to dedicate this year of my life to doing just a ton of yoga. It was a really selfish uh, endeavor in that way, but then I get to help my patients with it. So that comes across as, I think, first of all, helping patients get a sense of how they feel in their bodies. Um, most of my patients come with, um, I guess, an issue or a problem or a complaint or whatever descriptor of how they want to feel better. But then when I ask them to describe it or to place it somewhere in their body or to describe how it impedes or impacts their life, they have a hard time identifying that. They're like, huh, I don't know how that affects how I walk. I don't know how, you know, I don't know if sitting in my chair all day bothers that. I don't think it does. So really helping the yoga instruction has helped me get people in their body so that they can get better feedback from their body. And then we can help, help them learn to move in ways that either help them identify things further so that when I refer them to their physical therapist, <laughs> they can give really good um, information and they can really, I think, better feel when they are moving better, feeling better in less pain and making it not scary and not intimidating. Like they don't need to slap on some Lululemon pants and go to some really intimidating yoga class because they don't feel good in their body. So I'm able to help them do it comfortably in my clinic 
in a really non-intimidating way. And it's interesting that you mention how um, how disconnected I guess mm -hmm. people are from um, body awareness. Uh -huh. And I, I see that all the time. For example, if I'm teaching someone how to engage their core, uh -huh. inevitably I'll get someone who, who says, okay, I'm just going to tighten everything up. <laughs> if, yeah, I tighten, yeah. <laughs> if I tighten everything up, I'm sure I'll hit the core too. But it's just that um, even the awareness that your um the front of your core and specifically you know one uh, muscle that helps support you know your core and you know your internal organs is different than your diaphragm and you can still breathe that's that's always the most i don't know amazing and and and, and shocking and, and stunning thing to me of um, teaching, teaching people how to breathe. I mean, something, you know, as soon as we're born, you know, the first, the first thing we do is breathe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then we spend all of this time in our heads and we forget how to breathe mm -hmm. correctly or appropriately. And we don't realize the importance of that in our, our process. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's almost like a, like a dissociation. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Let's, let's maybe shift gears because um, I also wanted to get to the, um, to the herbalism and food portion mm -hmm. of what you do. So you. Um, would, it, would it maybe be helpful to, to describe um, what someone could expect from, from their um, initial appointment with you? Sure, thank you. I appreciate that question. Um, it's a lot of information gathering um, and some people will come and will actually talk for an hour, an hour and a half just to really understand what brought them in today. What got you to the point where you're seeking help from a new either a new modality or a new provider and being able to understand uh, the history of how their body has evolved to that point. Um, it's usually not that somebody stubbed their toe and then came into the office with no history attached to that. So a lot of question and answer to really, for me to understand um, what brought them in, on what level things are impacted. So is it just a physical uh, issue? And that's great if that's what it is. Or are there other things attached to that? Um, are there mental, emotional aspects also connected to that, either causative or caused by whatever the problem is that brought them in. Um, so questions and answers, a, a long conversation that comes out of hearing their story. Um, also, because I come from a massage therapist background, there's a lot of palpation that goes on. So you can feel on somebody's body where things are tight, where they feel weak, where they feel disconnected. Uh, so sometimes, yes, I'm feeling along muscular fascial patterns. Sometimes I'm feeling along meridians to see is there warmth in a certain area? Are certain areas more cold than others? Are certain areas less sensitive, more sensitive? So palpation is a lot of what I do with my patients on their first visit to just understand maybe how their body is responding to whatever's going on for them. 
And it's another way of helping them get in their body and giving me feedback. And so that I can feel, are there areas that are disconnected for them? And how can we bring that on board using acupuncture, herbs, whatever we're going to do? So questioning, conversation, palpation, yes. And then um, for some patients, we do. We look at complexion and the nails. They'll also tell different health points of the body or even like toenails, things like that. They're going to grow more or grow less or things like that based on how the circulation is going. So we're also looking for that kind of stuff. Uh, Chinese medicine, you, we tend to listen to vocal patterns, strength of voice, um, different, like, do they sigh a lot? Do they have a sing-song voice? Do they ramble on like I'm rambling on right now? <laughs> All of those things are actually part of the diagnostic picture uh, because what someone uses word-wise has to align with what we're seeing. So if they're telling you that they feel great, but then you see that they can't look you in the eye, that they are very reticent to uh, divulge information about themselves, or they don't have access to that information, what they say, how they say it, and then what they don't say is also really um, mm -hmm. informative in that way. So it helps lead the, the diagnostic treatment as well. Um, we tend to look at tongues in Chinese medicine. Um, so we look at the shape of the tongue body. Is it big or you mean the relative size of what's going on or with their structure? Um, is it puffy? Is it thin and flat? Is, are there red areas or purple areas? Um, do they have coatings throughout the whole tongue or are they missing coatings on certain parts of the tongue? If you look underneath someone's tongue, you should see some kind of vein presence. You mean that tells you that there's enough circulation going to that part of the body, but some people it's really engorged and there's thick purple veins and that tells you some information. Something's not going someplace. Um, so we do, we do a lot of tongue diagnosis. It's a real quick um, visual confirmation of what's going on or leads you to other questions. The tongue can change dramatically and very, very quickly. So you and I today, hopefully we're feeling relatively well, but you could wake up tomorrow and your tongue would be vastly different if you realize that your allergies really are and cranking you in the wrong direction, you'd have a thicker coating, maybe a little bit more yellow or it's gonna be dry and kind of ugh. So we look at tongues a lot and then we do tend to feel um, pulse qualities, I mean, along both sides of the wrist. And that will also give us a lot of information maybe about what's going on with the organs. So especially if it's an internal medicine sort of imbalance or, or connection issue that we're looking for, we're gonna try and get some information on that in a pulse. So um, we tend to feel for, yes, the rate of the pulse. If there's a lot of heat in your body, your pulse is gonna be a little bit rapid. Um, if you are very fatigued and tired, or if there is kind of a depletion issue going on in different organs of your body, your pulse is gonna show that, and it's gonna be um, really weak in certain areas, or it's gonna almost feel thin in some areas. So we try and get some information from that and then we relate it uh, to all the other information that we're getting within that, that session together and trying to figure out what's going on now, what has caused this to happen, um, at what level of the body is that really happening? So is it a surface superficial condition relatively quick to develop or is it something that has more likely been 
slowly brewing over time and you I mean just trying to build up to the point where the person noticed it and you can see all of that I mean once you start to see the whole picture yeah it kind of sounds um so several several things that I've heard you say it sounds like the, these are things that I've heard in my training that are recent, you know, as in 15, 20 years ago, you know, as far as the, um, what, what's called the biopsychosocial model that, hey, maybe, maybe let's treat the whole person and let's treat them in their um, environment which has stressors and also their belief patterns and mm -hmm. you know things you know like you said that they may not be aware of mm -hmm. but to a second set of eyes and yeah. even even your mention of kind of the the nature and ecology you know i i you know there's there's a model of that where it's like and you know how diagrams go <laughs> and so and sometimes sometimes they add you know more like bubbles to the diagram or more layers sure. to the diagram and so for the first time um you know just a few years ago to that biopsychosocial model you know then there's the kind of ecology you know, right. it's like, do you live in an area where the air is clean, you know, where, you know, you have enough resources and, mm -hmm. you know, all that. So I, f I find that really interesting. Yeah, because you can't ignore that. And maybe you don't have that conversation or pick away deeply at that the first couple of times that you engage with your patients. But at some point you are going to be well served and they're going to be well served by at least acknowledging oh yeah i mean i bet that does impact how i'm feeling you know or even if we see patients for insomnia which is very common i could be chipping away at it under one theory but then i realized that they sleep by a freeway where the street light is always mm -hmm. shining through their window and they have you mean angry cats in their bedroom and all of a sudden it has nothing to do with acupuncture it has to do with okay maybe we need to change your sleep environment <laughs> exactly right yeah and you know again um people not not being aware mm -hmm. you know that that doesn't you know often come up in the first or second or third session you know right. and right. Um, and i think something something that's really um that i really love about like my profession and i'm sure you love about your profession is you develop you know this rapport and these relationships with your clients mm -hmm. to you know more so you know more so than you know like um uh you know a general practitioner can mm -hmm. you know in the 15 minutes that they have yeah um to care for someone exactly and i know how you are with your patients and the rapport that you do build that rapport is one of the tools that helps you diagnose and assess yes of course but also um i think that rapport becomes part of the medicine that mm -hmm. is then helping us connect with them so that they can connect more with what is going on and really kind of charting the course for how they want to 
make changes so that they can feel better. Uh, you and I can both be as brilliant at our craft as possible, but if we're not able to help them make changes and learn the habit of making those changes, then it's going to be very hard for them to really achieve the level of well-being that they can if they are willing to examine that. Um, real quick, since we since we kind of have a little little break, um, can you ex can you kind of give high level a uh, high level view of what meridians are? Mm -hmm. uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if we start with the belief that uh, everything is connected in the body. There have to be different pathways that connect different um, systems or areas or regions in the body. And I think that a lot of us listening today are familiar like with the little meridian chart that we'll see that kind of connects, oh, the stomach channel mm -hmm. starts in the eye and it goes to the stomach and then it runs down the leg. And so there's the external visual of a meridian connecting an organ that is then the pathway is expressed on the outside of the body. And so that's how I'm able to affect the stomach organ itself by connecting to points on that stomach channel. Uh, and we call meridians can be channels, pathways, things like that. Um, but there's also additional meridian systems or meridians, I guess, that are more reflective of depth um, of impact in the body. So there are channels, pathways, that are more external that actually are on the, a little bit above the outside of the body. So those would be channels that you could impact through more superficial, lighter touch um, modalities, dry brushing, lymphatic work, things like that. And so the external uh, meridian uh, system is kind of more related to what we would consider our immune system. So not only are our organs connected on these channels that run in the body, but then you have the external layer of immune function, our, our Wei Qi is what we call it. So it is, it's very protective and we can impact that system and that's a meridian level. Um, but then if you are working at the level of skin, superficial fascia, superficial muscle tissue, that's actually a system of, of meridians that are considered sinew Channels. So we do different needling, different types of stimulation. Maybe we're going to use some gua sha or some cupping or some taping, and that's going to affect that level. So if those are um, where your problem lies, we're going to treat that level of depth. Um, but then if you go a little further, deeper into the body, we're going to talk more about how your blood system or blood circulation system is impacting things. So that's deeper than obviously the external immune system. It's deeper than your superficial fascia. It's below that. And that can contribute to um, things like maybe rashes or menstrual issues or um, some just blood circulation issues can be related to that. And there's some mental emotional uh, implications of what comes at the blood level of treatment for us. And then organ system is deeper to that even. And so if it is an imbalance in the organs, so you're having digestive issues or you're having respiratory issues or urinary issues, 
we would work at that level. And so the meridians that we choose to go that deep are a different set than the ones that we're going to use that are going to just treat sinews and connective tissue, things like that. And then if we want to get down to the bone layer or bone marrow uh, issues or even hereditary genetic issues, there are meridians that are that deep that actually talk more to epigenetics and ancestral <laughs> imbalances that go on. So meridians, I think, is really simple in one way, just that it's, it's different pathways that we try and access connections between different systems in the body. And then with the acknowledgement that there is that multi-layered aspect to it, just like we look at, you mean from just human ownership of the body, I'm going to treat things on my skin differently than I'm going to treat things underneath my skin. Mm -hmm. And so we, we do different, different um, techniques, different needling for that, uh, different herbs go to different levels as well. Um, so if we're treating along a meridian, system thought, we're going to use different herbs for each of those different levels as well. So what are some, what are some common herbs that we would use in treatment? Mm -hmm. oh, I know that nobody likes to hear the answer. Well, that really depends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I it's in the PT that. world too. <laughs> Well, yeah, somebody yeah. comes to you and they're like, I have back pain. What are you going to do? It's like, I don't have a recipe for PT back pain. Yeah. I'm going to have to do a lot of exploration to figure out what's your back pain going, mm -hmm. going on. And the same thing herbal-wise. So in like a basic concept, there are some foods that are herbs. Um, and so some of the foods that we eat, like sweet potato or mint or scallions, ginger, garlic, these are all herbs and they have specific uh, therapeutic functions that they do. They have specific affinities for different organ systems in the body. They have specific um, levels of impact in the body, but they're totally food, foodish, food-like. And so we can use a lot of those wisely um, to make effective changes. Uh, and so when I think of Chinese medicine and herbs, I always think of food and herbs together. Um, the best way for me to be able to get people to take herbs is to make them foodish enough and increase their culinary palate in a way that they're able to then use those food herbs often, which is going to be able to impact changes. I mean, just like in your world, if they're not doing their exercises, as often as necessary, their body's really going to be reticent to affect the change and to be able to hold on to that impact. So if we're able to, to do the herbs consistently, regularly for them, then we can make good change for them. So food is herbs, herbs is food, whichever way you want to look at it. I try and work on that level a lot. Um, and even if we think about a while back, people would talk about, oh, cinnamon. Cinnamon's going to help your blood sugar and it's going to help regulate this, help regulate that. Uh, in Chinese medicine and in herbalism, we break it down to, well, which cinnamon plant are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And then which part of the plant? So if you think about the bark of cinnamon, the cassia bark, it's really warming. And so like for us, it's really going to stoke your internal fire. So if you're depleted and kind of tend towards the cold side of things, or if you've gone through a long illness that you're trying to come back from, 
maybe that's what you're going to want to put in your tea, a little bit of that, or that's going to be what you kind of want to cook with for a short period of time to bring yourself back. But if you are a 50-year-old woman with hot flashes who doesn't have <laughs> issues with depletion and you're like, I love cinnamon bark, well, you are going to enjoy some hot flashes. <laughs> Maybe some emotional upset because of that. Um, so we would look at, are you going to use the branches of, you mean the twigs of a cinnamon plant? The twigs tend to be, our uh, branches of a lot of herbs tend to be the ones that are going to go to our branches. So I'm going to use cinnamon twig to go to my arms and legs if I want to kind of guide other herbs there. So if I'm taking an herbal formula or if I'm taking herbs as food, and cinnamon is also something that therapeutically fits their uh, profile at that time, I'm going to give you some cinnamon twig as well because it's going to then direct that formula out to your limbs, which is kind of what we want. So if you would think of maybe neuropathy or, or something mm -hmm. like that, something where we want to get circulation out there. So the herb itself, I mean, cinnamon can be amazing, but then knowing which part of the plant you want to use for which condition. So in that way, like cinnamon's a really super popular one that we do a lot of. And German garlic, yep. Use a lot of those for different things. Um, I think one of the ones that I use a lot lately, especially in like the COVID times, there's two actually that come to mind around this question. One would be uh, Lingjer, which is Gandoderma mushroom, uh, commonly known as reishi. It's a very safe food type of herb crossover. It's something that you can take for an extended period of time pretty safely. And so I like that. It is something that has a physical body sort of impact area of the lungs. And so it can help with some kinds of cough or asthmatic wheezing. But then it also has a really beautiful affinity for calming our mind and helping us feel more grounded. And so it's really nourishing for our mental emotional part as well. So being able to find these really cool food herbs that also have body connection and some mental emotional connection. I think those are really beautiful for right now and really popular and really, really common. Yeah. And I can also see um, some listeners out there thinking, oh, I got to go get me some of that. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's shaking her head, folks. That's a, that's a hard no. <laughs> Yeah, what would you caution people um, you know, um, to? It's it's like if they want to if they want to experiment with this without speaking uh, with with someone like you first. I would say speak to an herbalist if you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, just and just to realize that when we when we prescribe herbs or when people come to us and and they've been prescribed herbs that in general, what you take is not supposed to be the thing that you take forever. So patients who come in and they've been on a formula for six months up to six years, something like that, and it's never changed, like, oh, this is my formula. You're telling me that your body hasn't changed in that whole time? Mm -hmm. So kind of uh, the main thing that I caution people about is knowing how things interact within your body. So that would be 
food, herbs, supplements, prescriptions, like how do they all interact with each other? Are they competing for receptor sites in the body? Are they uh, all trying to do the same thing and therefore your therapeutic effect is going to be too much of that thing? Uh, and so like a common one that I think about is turmeric, curcumin, mm -hmm. which is very popular right now. Um, and it is another food herb kind of thing. In Chinese medicine, it is in the blood moving category. So it is helpful for increasing circulation, which is why it also has an anti-inflammatory effect to it. So it can be really useful for uh, a lot of specific conditions. But if you are already on blood thinners, mm. or if you are going to have surgery and your doctor said, hey, get off of your aspirin, get off of all these other medications, da 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 and they continue to take the turmeric. Well, that could be a problem. So exactly. knowing, yeah. yeah, so really knowing what that herb does from a lot of different perspectives, I think can be really helpful. And knowing that just because it's an herb and it's natural doesn't mean it can't cause harm. Exactly. Yeah, um, you know, and, and has a cumulative effect, so. Exactly. Um, yeah, when, when I hear folks say, oh, you know, I, I want everything to be natural. And I think, well, arsenic is natural. Uh -huh. <laughs> Cyanide <laughs> is natural. Sure. Yeah. Uh -huh. And they'll kill you dead. <laughs> yeah. And so the fact that people can just go on the internet and buy, I mean, like six months supply of something, mm -hmm. they get a great deal on it, not realizing that maybe that's only an herb that you take, I mean, three weeks out of the month. So if you're taking something for PMS or periods or endometriosis, maybe it is the right thing and maybe it's helping you, but knowing that there's a window of time that it's going to be best suited for you in other periods of time when it's really going to be exacerbating your symptoms or potentially tipping you in an unhelpful direction mm -hmm. in that kind of way. Yeah. You know, and that goes back to, you were talking about, you know, um, really good history taking. You know, because, you know, someone with kidney issues or heart issues or, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that all has to be taken into account in, you know, in Western medicine, you know, how people metabolize, you know, mm -hmm. medicine right. and, you know, how people would metabolize, you know, you know, meta, uh, medicine and Chinese medicine, you know, mm -hmm. namely, you know, what they eat and and your herbal um, prescriptions. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big sigh. <laughs> I, I, think of, uh, I think of so many of my patients who come in and they are so committed to doing things naturally, which I appreciate. Um, and then they will be very honest with me and tell me that they don't tell their primary care doctor oh, what they're boy. taking. Yeah. Because they don't want to have, I mean, that confrontation or or even they don't want to tell their chiropractor about it, or they don't want to tell, I mean, their other practitioner about what they're taking. Because and... they're afraid of that judgment, or yeah, do you think? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I know that, like, most people, they want to have some control or autonomy over their health. And so they're taking these, these herbs or supplements because they've read or heard that this helped another friend with that condition, and that's great. Um, and they don't want somebody to take that control away from them. They don't want someone to tell them that they are not able to participate in that way. 
so they don't want to tell their <laughs> provider what they're doing. <laughs> so tell folks, tell your provider. Huh? Honestly, we want yeah. to know. We need exactly. to know. Exactly, and then yes. like we can discuss it. You mean for sure? <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. I want to. I want to know. Well. Because also, I want to know, you know, what's worked for you in the past, you know, what hasn't worked for you in the past, you know, it's just all part, it's all part of, um, you were mentioning, you know, um, that when you see someone, you're, you know, basically, you're testing theories, and you and I, you and I are doing the same thing when we're seeing a patient. Basically, we're hypothesis testing. Okay, signs kind of point to this for right now, but right. then if something else comes into the picture, well, I think I'm going down a wrong path. Let's go this way. Yeah. Right. So, Stacy, let's let's kind of circle back and wrap up here. Um, so, what are what are your final thoughts and kind of what you would like people to take away from what we've been talking about? What's, what's the biggest thing? I think the biggest thing is realizing that however you gauge your sense of health or well-being or how good you feel in your life, whether it is mind, body, physical, spirit, however you want to look at that, that acupuncture or a combination of acupuncture and other facets of traditional Chinese medicine that they're really worth looking into to see if they are applicable to your condition for whatever imbalances that you're seeing that are keeping you from feeling as good as you can. It's a really great uh, tool to use to help you change and feel better. So that's kind of what I want people to think about. And that wraps it up for this week at the Medical Necessity Podcast. We are located wherever you find your podcasts, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and Spotify. You can visit our show notes for links about Stacy and about traditional Chinese medicine. And remember, if you find yourself in that flood of medical information, stay off those rocks, keep pedaling. This is Dr. G, a.k.a. Dr. Gina Kim, physical therapist, your guide and podcaster. Take good care.